two basic things that we're going to talk about. I'm not sure how far I'll get into the second point this morning, but uh, the first is this, that we are created in God's image. We're image bearers of God, verses 26 and 27. Let us make God, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Which uh, begs the question, who is God and how have we been created like him? So we'll be looking at those two questions. And then the second question, God's call upon us as his image bearers. Later on in the text, he calls us to be fruitful. Uh, This is not just procreation, which is bearing children, but it's uh, to live a life of production, that our lives to be generating. You know, there's givers and there's takers in this world. Uh, God has not uh, designed us to primarily be takers, but has primarily designed us to be givers. Jesus said it this way uh, when speaking to the Apostle Paul, for it's better to give, more blessed to give than receive. And so uh, this goes right back to the Genesis narrative that you have been called to impact and bless this earth in Jesus' name in some way. doesn't mean we don't receive. We certainly do. But our primary call is to be givers. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Joe Suazo. Let's just stand, keep standing for the Word of God. If you have your Bibles with you, and I always encourage you to bring the Word of God with you to underline it and to always have it physically with you uh, at church services. I think it's a good thing. But uh, if not, there's few Bibles, and we're going to be looking at page number one, Genesis chapter one. And we're in a series, we're in the uh, fifth part of this series on Genesis. And our contention, which we've been talking about the last week, is if, uh, if we misunderstand these first few chapters of Genesis, then the very foundations of our faith uh, are on shaky ground. And there's a second contention. Many of the social ills that we're experiencing as a nation go back to the assault on the Genesis account and our misunderstanding of it. So let's, we're going to pick it up this week in verse 26, and we're going to be talking about the dignity of man, the dignity of man. Uh, beginning in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, 
I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Father, again, as we just try to gain a better understanding into your word, may your spirit be present with us, giving light to our eyes and understanding to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You may be seated. Just two basic things that we're going to talk about. I'm not sure how far I'll get into the second point this morning, but uh, the first is this, that we are created in God's image. We're image bearers of God. Verses 26 and 27, let us make God, in, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Which uh, begs the question, who is God and how have we been created like him? So we'll be looking at those two questions. And then the second question, God's call upon us as his image bearers. Later on in the text, he calls us to be fruitful. Uh, this is not just procreation, which is bearing children, but it's uh, to live a life of production, that our lives to be generating. You know, there's givers and there's takers in this world. Uh, God has not uh, designed us to primarily be takers, but has primarily designed us to be givers. Jesus said it this way uh, when speaking to the Apostle Paul, for it's better to give, more blessed to give than receive. And so uh, this goes right back to the Genesis narrative that you have been called to impact and bless this earth in Jesus' name in some way. doesn't mean we don't receive. We certainly do. But our primary call is to be givers. But um, we're going to see also it's a call to steward the earth, uh, to subdue it and to have dominion over it. And what does that also mean? But let's uh, look at this first idea about being an image bearer of God. I think we all can acknowledge, and of course Ukraine war is just a testimony to, of this with an explanation point, is that the image of God in some way has been broken in humanity. And the way I like to describe it is there's skeletal remains that are ready to be repaired through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he came, to restore, to reconcile us. But when we look at humanity as a whole, we see brokenness and um, we see a marred image of God. Uh, perhaps the greatest casualty, you know, looking at the two years of COVID in the United States is how it has affected our children, especially teenagers. Not only has their education been hindered, but health agencies across the board report on an epidemic increase in depression and teenage suicide. This has affected adults as well, but especially teenagers. Here we are, I guess New York and New Jersey announced an end to the Emergency Act on COVID, which is, I think, uh, March 1st or something like that. Uh, but we feel the effects of it, especially those who are first responders 
and those who are working in health uh, industry. They've seen some terrible things. New York Times in 2019, this is before COVID now, reported that before 2007, the rate of teenage suicide had been uh, relatively stable with little increase. But between 2007, it increased 56%. Then, just a few months ago, this came out from Baylor College of Medicine, has reported that just in the last two years, it has increased 50% again, which means it's almost doubled in 15 years. What in the world is going on? These are haunting numbers. Uh, the question is, why are teenagers suffering so deeply with depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide? Uh, lots of the people have uh, opinions on this. Some point to social isolation. During COVID, there's articles on the nuclear family falling apart. There's the toxic influences of social media. All those certainly play a part, uh, but these are really a secular point of view. In other words, a view of things that removes God, scrubs God out. Uh, often the secular point of view will basically say that uh, these all go back to a, a person or a teenager's low self-esteem or low view of themselves. Psychologists will say that the solution for all this is helping young people to recognize their worth. Help them see that they have value. And uh, if they were able to do that, this would somehow transfer uh, them or transport them beyond the depression and anxieties they're feeling in this troubled world. But how does a person get a high view of themselves? Now, I'm not just talking to teenagers here. I'm talking to all of us. How do you see yourself as valuable or others for that matter? This is where our culture, again, is really literally at war within itself with two points of view. And those points, again, stem from these first few chapters of Genesis. During the past few weeks, we saw that if you scrub the creation account of Genesis from people's lives, that there's an all-powerful, all-loving, eternal, sovereign God who before the foundation of the earth brought everything into being, then where does our meaning come from? Genesis presses forward in the creation account. We come to hear uh, the dignity of man, this, this great question of who is man? And it's deeply rooted in God creating us in his image. If we remove that, what is our purpose? Are we animals that came through an evolutionary process? Or do we have a, a great purpose that God has infused in each of us to bring about his glory and something special in this world? When we look at the first chapters of Genesis, we see that God who created the heavens and the earth has also created us in his image. We discover that God has created us with a purpose to first be in relationship with him. And that's where we primarily draw our sense of purpose, meaning, destiny. But he's also called us into relationship with one another that as God bears... Or image, uh, 
people who bear God's image just as God loves, now we get to love one another and uh, bless this world in Jesus' name. Key, key word here in this text is blessed. God blessed. But again, as we discussed the last few weeks, our secular culture, which uh, many uh, apologists and philosophers, Christian philosophers, would deem as post-Christian, meaning we've moved away from the Christian view of the way we see ourselves in this world around us, it teaches our young people that Genesis is myth and that they came about through a meaningless explosion millions of years ago and now our secular culture is trying to convince these same uh, young people that they're, they have purpose and design. H how does that work? It doesn't. Young people are too smart for that. They recognize if, if wait a minute, I came from about, about from an explosion through evolutionary process, starting with a, a cell. How in the world can I have meaning? And so part of this crisis, health crisis we're facing, is we have a generation that just doesn't know. They're ignorant, starting with this Genesis account. But the good news is reconciliation through Christ that's the gospel. We gain relationship with God, and as important as that relationship is, is the knowledge of who we are. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, an amazing transformation happens. We go from sinner and the one who's separated from God without knowledge to now, through Christ, we are reconciled to him, our sins are forgiven, and now what I call a great restoration project begins, which uh, theologians will call the doctrine of sanctification. It's the growth in Christ. And interestingly, when we come to Christ, something amazing happens. We become transformed and become more and more like Jesus. This is what the Word of God teaches. Romans 8.29. He has predestined us. He has foreknown us that we may become like Jesus, conform to his image. And so the very DNA of who we are as image, image bearers of God begins to be restored in Christ. So let's look at this question, the essential, uh, essential aspects of man and the essential attributes of God. When the scripture teaches that we are creating God's image, it's saying that just as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created man in his image, so we too have personality. What does that mean? What it means is that just as God has a mind to create and to think and to reason, he's put those same attributes in you and I. We have the ability to think to reason, to create. Just as God has the capacity to uh, emotion, to feel, God feels things, you know. The scripture's full of that. He grieves when he sees man's disposition towards him. He also sings over us. I love that uh, one verse of scripture in Hosea 
saying that he sings over us and quiets us with his love. And there's just so many other scriptures that speak of God as a God who feels. And now, through Christ, uh, I'm able to also have a uh, restored emotion instead of being filled with rage and anger. Guilty. So many, of us, so many of us have been so deeply wounded and hurt, right? Through Christ, I go from that angry, despondent, wounded person to now a person of peace. A person who's able to generate beautiful things. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Just as God has the will to choose, he chooses things, he's put in us a will to choose. As God is an eternal spirit, he has created us with an eternal spirit. And so these very attributes of God are put in us. Now this Judeo-Christian view of man is very different than our secular culture that sees us as stardust or various religions and philosophies that see God as impersonal and distant or one with nature like a New Age philosophy or Buddhism or Hinduism. Here in our text, we just see God is, as just as he has personality himself, so does man. Let us create man in God's image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are God-like in that way. You know, we're the crown of God's creation. Uh, this is not even in my notes, but it's just something I thought of. You know what really irks me about the UFO movement? The UFO movement is rooted in the idea that if everything came about through a big explosion, random and chance, then uh, just as we see life on Earth through evolutionary process, then statistically, it makes sense that with all the billions and billions of galaxies and solar systems out, that are out there, that would make sense there are also Earths like ours, and perhaps a higher intelligence that's far more evolved than us, that somehow are sending reconnaissance flights to America or wherever. Always Arizona, don't ask me no about that. <laughs> totally not my notes here, I'm really going veering off here. But... It irks me because if you really listen to it, it's, it's founded in this secular idea that man is just stardust. Uh, Richard Dawkins, an uh, atheist, prominent atheist out of Cambridge, and he's done so much to speak against the Christian faith. <laughs> they asked him, well, you know, what do you think? He says, well, I think the only salvation for man is going to come from extraterrestrials. Like, What? How'd you jump to that one? But that's a prominent thing. So now let's go back to where I was. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're the crown of God's creation. It means that God created this earth uniquely uh, with just man put on earth. And remember, sending Jesus as the son of man, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, who was uh, in the form of man, emptied himself of his, some of his divinity in some mysterious way and came and walked amongst us. But we're the crown of God's creation. All of creation, man has a special place. I love these verses from Psalm 8, verses 5 through 8. 
what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or as some translations will say, angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Am I hearing angels or voices or something? Or a phone? God is demonstrating before the entire angelic host, and scripture testifies that there are millions upon millions of angels, uh, cherubim, seraphim, archangels, that you and I have a special place in his creation as image bearers. Angels do not have that. They're messengers of God's spirits, but they do not have what we have. And so God puts an exclamation point on this truth when Jesus Christ became man. The main reason why so many struggle with a lack of self-esteem or self-worth is, is not because they don't, uh, it's not because they don't think enough of themselves, but it's because they think too much of themselves. We're never designed to understand our destiny and our purpose apart from God. Our worth is tied to him as our creator. Our worth is tied into the idea that he has designed us to be in relationship with him. We cannot resolve the ugliness, the sins, the weaknesses within ourselves by just telling ourselves good people. I've had counseling sessions with young people who've been absolutely brainwashed by the secular system of psychology and they're trying to convince themselves they're a good person. I remember not too long ago having this conversation with someone and, and she kept on saying, but I'm a good person. I said, you really aren't. I said, I'm not a good person. That's why Jesus came, to transform us and to take us from sinner to saint. I said, what you need is Christ himself. Remember, God sent his only begotten son, son in the form of man to bear our sins, to give us new life. And now, through him, we're more than conquerors. I'll tell you, if you see yourself that way, you have the highest view of yourself that you ever need. Because now you are seeing yourself as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen to that? Another aspect of being created in God's image that we discover in the text here is man is relational in nature. Now, just as God has relationship within himself, God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit, great mystery, this Trinity. Great mystery. But somehow before anything was created, before angels or the, world's, the world was created, the universe was created, God always existed from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. And he has love within himself. God is love in that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other from all eternity. Now, look at the Genesis account here. Let us, Elohim, plural for God, let us make man in our image. What this really means is that we have the ability to have relationship that's really expressed in four different ways. Four different ways. We find the capacity to have relationship with God himself. That was wrecked through sin. Wrecked, destroyed by sin, but resolved by Christ. We are new creations in Christ. Behold, old things have passed away. 
new things have come. This has come about through Christ who reconciled us to himself. Amen? So the first relationship is with God. The second is we have the capacity for relationship and intimacy within the marriage relationship. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. Not everyone's called to marriage, but we're going to talk about that. It, it comes up. And uh, it's an amazing miracle that two people can become close to one another and spend a lifetime together. It's, it's a design of God. A third is we have capacity for relation with God's people. Uh, one of the reasons we talk about the importance of coming here, not just Sunday, but our small group ministry, right, Pastor Mike? Uh, is that you have relationship with others, with God's people. Uh, remember what we talked about. There's 57 one another's in the scripture. Love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, give to one another. All these one another's cannot happen without another. I think that's what made this COVID so insidious and no doubt uh, from the darkest place of hell itself, the way it's destroyed people's lives. And then the final is what we have capacity for relationship within society and government. So we're all called to be productive citizens. You know, the idea of the United States of America and its focus on what good citizenry is, is not just a good idea that came out of Greek republicanism. I don't know where our history books got that reconstruction, but it's came out of the biblical context of God calling us to come into submission to governing authorities and to be part of praying and honoring our leaders and being involved in our neighborhoods, making them better places, serving where we can. You see, we cannot ignore God's stamp upon our heart that cries out for relation and intimacy. It's an impossibility. With God, our spouses, with believers, with community, uh, we are called to be loving agents of God in this world. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But when we isolate children behind computer screens, shut down restaurants, close down churches, empty out office buildings, stand six feet apart, that God-given attribute that he has put in us is interrupted. How many of us had I were deeply discouraged at one point in this whole thing with COVID. I certainly was. I'm just going to address something here. Some of us here have a hard time getting close to others because we don't want to get hurt. You've been hurt in the past, and you're afraid to get hurt again. It's normal. But uh, the only way forward from that place of pain is the forgiveness first in Christ and our willingness to forgive those who trespass against us. Others have a hard time getting close to others because they feel ashamed and unworthy. They feel like I can never... You know how many people tell me that I, I can't come to a prayer meeting? I don't think I'm good enough. Or I can pray. Or whatever. Or don't show up for this or that. Or I meet people, I say, where have you been? You know, I give them a call after 
a few months of being absent from the church, I've been having a hard time. I'm just thinking terrible things about myself. <laughs> Double more reason to come. You're not going to work this out in yourself. That is why we read in Hebrews 12, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Now, I Perhaps you heard that old song by Paul Simons, I am a rock. I built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island and a rock feels no pain. Sad testimony for some people. But the good news is through Christ, we're called to greater things, beautiful things. Instead of being self-absorbed, full of self-loathing, worthlessness, now through Christ, I'm raised with him. Amen? Since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, not the things of earth. That's what the scripture teaches. When I'm raised with Christ, I'm able to see things different. I'm able to see the potential in every one of you because I know that each one of you have been creating God's image. If I am not raised in Christ, if I am not seeing things through his lenses, through the way he's reconciled me and transformed me, then I begin to see you as... All your, well, don't say it. <laughs> All or myself, for that matter, anyone. We become judgmental, don't we? You see, Jesus is everything here. He's not someone to be taken in part. He's the one who transforms us from within so that we can be people who bless and not be a people who just sit around self-loathing. Uh, we're just going to cover just a few things here when we get to Genesis 128. Seeing the time, I think I'll get into this more deeply next week. But the first is, we looked at today, is that when we're creating God's image, there are certain qualities that God has that are in us and that through Christ we're reconciled and we have the privilege of practicing those qualities like love and um, creativity, influencing our culture, our nation with good things. But the second is, uh, another aspect of our responsibility and suitorship, God calls us to be fruitful and multiply. Look at verse 28. God blessed them. This is the first time that the word blessing is used here in the scripture. It's repeated again and again and again. The idea is when God blesses, it's, it's he's really arming us. He's giving us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. He's blessed us. Well, what is it calling us here? Look at verse 28 again. God said to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and the birds and the heavens and every living thing that moves on earth. Now, this fruitfulness is not just procreation. That's obviously here that we'd fill the earth with children, other people who've been also created in God's image. But it's also the idea that we are to be fruitful spiritually and fruitful materially, that we're able to take what we have given 
and generate it. That's uh, some of us are familiar with the parable of the talents. Now, the distortion of some of these verses, and we're just going to get into a little bit of, of maybe one of them today, has birthed five social issues in our culture as it's gone adrift from the Genesis account. Five of them. The first two are a distortion, and the second two are hostile, and the fifth one is relay with marriage and family, and that has uh, a, a discussion in all of itself. So I'll just mention them, and we're just going to cover a few of them today. First two, which are distortions, environmentalism. Are we called here to care for the earth? Yes. So, you know, littering would obviously be the... Uh, we've got rid of littering, but how many of us grew up in the 60s? I, I did. How many of us remember trash all over the place? <laughs> you guys don't know who are a younger generation. There's a big campaign in the 70s against littering, and, uh, which was a good campaign, right? But really, the, the idea of caring for the earth and, and even some of the regulatory en environment of just trying to control pollution and, and polluting our rivers and all these things goes back to the Genesis account of caring. Stewards. So there's good aspects of environmentalism. But the problem is it's distorted. Um, one distortion, for example, there's a full-page ad in the New York Times a few years ago in respect to global warming and all the things we hear about environmentalism. I call it uh, um, militant environmentalism. Uh, man alone will save the earth. What? I say, am I, is my mind just doing a trick on itself? This is a full-page ad by an environmentalist group. So there's a, there's a strain of environmentalism that removes God out of the formula, man becomes the savior, and that births all kinds of weird things and lies and all kinds of distortions that just aren't even based on science. So environmentalism is one. Uh, distortion. Animal rights. Should we take care of animals? Of course. In fact, when you read the Law of Moses, there are many... Uh, many things said about caring for animals, and if someone doesn't, if they abuse their animal, actually there's laws that were there for restitution and punishment. And so uh, we should care for animals. But are we equal with animals? No, we're not. So while the Genesis account is calling us to care, subdue, have dominion, we are not like animals. There's this story that shows us how uneasy we are when we place animals on the same level as man. Married couple, were cel this will be my last thing today. Married couple were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. We're going out for dinner together. The last thing they did was to put out the cat. Taxi arrived and as the couple walked out of the house, the cat shot back in. So the husband went back inside the house to chase it out. The wife, not wanting the taxi driver to know the house was going to be empty, explained to the taxi driver, he's just going upstairs to say goodbye to my mother. 
few minutes later, the husband got into the taxi and said, sorry, I took so long, the stupid thing was hiding under the bed, had to poke her with a coat hanger to get her to come out. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny joke, but it really shows you how ridiculous it is if you start to put man and animal in the same. But there are groups out there, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, that are absolutely secular, atheistic in their perspective, that are uh, coming at this culture and feigning for all kinds of rights that should not be given to animals. Man and animals are different. God created only man in his image. Well, let me end with this, and we'll get to some of these other social issues next week. Uh, Genesis 29.30, God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And then he repeats that. I've given every green plant for food, in verse 30. And it was so. You know, God is a God who provides. So I don't know where you're at today, but I just want you to know that if you really look, take a hard look at your life, it doesn't mean he, he takes away the fear in the sense that, that you have to trust him. Only when you trust him, the fear goes away. God doesn't take away the fear. Fear will be your partner on terms of what, whether you'll be provided for. The only way the fear goes away is when you trust him that based here on the Genesis God, he's going to provide. And of course, Jesus reiterates that when he says, do not worry about this life. Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap. They don't sow. They don't store away in barns. Yet your father in heaven takes care of them. What was he saying to us, Jesus? That I will provide for you. God will provide. Don't worry. But what do we do? So often we worry. Worry is the antithesis of trust in God. It is the antithesis of faith. Psalm 104, we read this. I love this about the God who gives. When you, O Lord, give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Amen? So God is a God of grace and abundance.